This is Connor. And this is Paul. And welcome to Silver Screamers. Your genreatric jumping, octogenarian, decade hopping, granny tapped auto, Harold and Maud podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Paulcast. It's not all about oh, you, Paul. I'm thinking pod like Maud, but no. Don't get officious. So, how are you, Paul? I'm good. We we were quite late um, getting this one up because we had some Wi-Fi issues. Oh, we did have Wi-Fi issues. Sky dropped on us for some reason. Yeah, Sky are dreadful. Don't go with Sky. Sky are amazing. What are you talking oh, no, about? Sorry, Sky are good. It was Air that are dreadful. Sorry, Sky. <laughs> we love Sky. Sky have been brilliant to us. Air are bastards. Yeah, Air aren't good. So because of that, we've done we've done quite a bit. We we went to the we went to the cinema a few weeks ago um, and we said we'll go to the cinema so we went to the cinema and there was um, Dunkirk was on and I said oh Connor will we go see Dunkirk and Connor was like hmm and I said oh what about Atomic Blonde Atomic Blonde that could be a fun film and Connor was like hmm and then I saw The Dark Tower which is meant to be this uh, that's got um, what's that actor's name uh, Idris Elba and everything Idris Elba is in is going to be great said Prometheus but no, what, we didn't see any then, did we? No, we didn't. And I know where you're going with this, but what actually happened was I said to you, do you want to go and see Annabelle 2 or Annabelle Creation tonight? And you said, oh, yeah, OK, let's go to the cinema. And when we were at the cinema, you were starting, mm, I don't want to see Annabelle, mm, fucking horror movies. Mm. And then you started pointing out all these other movies and you're like, oh, Dunkirk's meant to be awesome. But no, we went to see Annabelle Creation and you were hanging off your seat for most of it and so was i i was hiding behind my hands yeah it was really stressful it was so stressful it was just like for the last 45 minutes were just unrelented stress but it was fine yeah you turned to me at one point it was like i just want this to be over <laughs> i was done i'd had enough i was done we had been calling our theme this week cult films and for some reason i started getting in my head that we were wrong that it was actually cult classics but no it is cult films it is uh, netflix has an actual section for cult films so we were on in friday night we were looking through co- other cult films we could watch and we watched a film that i had never heard of before called the interview with hugo weaving and i loved it it was good yeah it was very good for it was sort of a low budget movie it was very low budget actually nothing not, not a lot happens in it but um it's all about uh well it's this interview between a police officer and a somebody who's um a criminal well alleged criminal we don't know yeah it could have been a play really it was like a handful of people uh in a handful of scenes um, and it was all psychological I, I yeah i really enjoyed it but we're not talking about that today no we're not talking about that today and clearly we've researched this because we're deciding is it cult classic or cult films and we're still having that conversation <laughs> you know, both, ep- are. both are acceptable and we also thought oh because the new season of american horror story is back and the theme for that is cult so that's why we're picking this theme we decided in hindsight <laughs> yes hindsight is 2020 <laughs> as they say that's just a happy coincidence anyway we're here today to talk about harold and maude the 1971 cult classic movie which we've just recently watched and i've only seen it for the first time i think you've seen it before yeah this was my selection i won the toss-up um last week so boo flatliners well I, i've never seen flatliners so i can't comment i watched this years ago mtv had this uh, little movie club show where i can't actually alex zane alex zane used to present it and he used to basically he'd highlight a film that he enjoyed and he'd give a little synopsis and say where you should watch it and he did one of Harold and Maude and just when I saw the trailer I just instantly 
thought, oh, that looks that looks quirky, that looks fun. And when I I lived in Glasgow for a time, and there was a library very near my flat, and they had a selection of DVDs that you could borrow. And the DVDs were all really interesting films. They weren't they weren't modern films. They were all just kind of interesting films. And one of them was Harold and Maud, and I had heard I could, I remembered it from the Alex Zane thing on MTV and I rented it or I borrowed it from the library and I just thought it was really sweet and it's kind of stayed with me and it stood up when I watched it a second time and then I watched it a third time so I watched it twice for this it's definitely doesn't come across like when you're watching it it's still it, it hasn't aged it's still quite modern absolutely it's yeah it's really timeless apart from all the cars and the clothes and that are quite 70s but you know the the, the acting style like everything seems quite modern the themes are quite modern as well yeah you could you could remake this even though there's no need to but you could remake this today i don't think there would be, be a bit more texting so yeah it was great i loved it he was basically an emo wasn't he yeah he's a modern day emo i suppose yeah. we'll talk about him a bit later on but uh i was thinking that this is probably the second podcast in a row that we're going to mention the adams family because he's quite a similar character to an adams family character this is really harold's film I think, I mean, it, it is Harold's story. Everyone fell in love with Maud, right? I think she's the more dynamic of the two of them, right? Oh, definitely. If it was just a film with Harold in it, she'd probably turn out off after five minutes because you're like, this is a depressing fucker. Yeah, and to be honest, actually the scenes in this film where she's not in it, I'm just waiting for her to come back, I have to say. There's some interesting scenes and I do enjoy his mother, but yeah, it's just when it's Harold and Maud, that's when the film comes to life. She's so much fun. She's she's the life and soul of the film, really. Without her, there is no film. So let's go into the beat by beat. Paul's come up with a very in-depth beat by beat this week, and uh, I think it should be fun. <laughs> okay, so the film begins uh, with an obscured view of a man in a brown suit who doesn't love a brown suit. He enters a big room, a very grand room, uh, puts on an LP, which is Cat Stevens. We're going to talk a lot about Cat Stevens later. He wrote, writes a note that he leaves in his breast pocket, lights a few candles, and then steps on a stool and appears to hang himself. A woman enters, but she's nonplussed about the apparent suicide. She makes a phone call, and it becomes apparent that the suicide has either been a prank or a stunt. We find out that this woman is Mrs. Chazen, I think her name is pronounced, and the boy is Harold, their mother and son. We then see them later at a fancy dinner party where she remarks on how fragile he is to her guests. Later that night, um, as she's undressing, she walks into her bathroom. Harold has done another fake suicide, this one much bloodier. There's blood all over the bathroom and he is in the bath with blood on his throat. And at this stage, now she can't handle this and she breaks down and says she can't handle it anymore. So um, a pretty dramatic opening to a film. Totally. I was totally... I actually said to you when we were watching this, I was like, well, there's a spoiler right there. <laughs> I thought it was going to be this big romantic comedy love story and then he can't takes it no more and then he, he offs himself at the end. But uh, yeah, it really sets the tone of the of the film um, when the mother walks in and she's totally nonchalant about her son, finding her son hanging there. You already start thinking, well, this is this is a bit weird. This is a bit of a, an odd film. I kind of didn't understand why she got so upset and annoyed with the, the bloody scene, because as we'll see later on, there's a lot of these kind of scenes. You know, he, he, he's done this a lot and sometimes he's not fussed and sometimes he's upset. And maybe it was just because of all the red blood all over the place. I think 
she, I think she has this attitude where she just is going to ignore her, all these weird behaviors. He's just looking for attention. And if she ignores it, he'll stop. And it is bothering her. But she just tries to make it seem like it isn't. And then when she sees that scene, because it is, it's the most graphic suicide scene we see. And I think she just can't. She just kind of, and it's yeah, it's pretty gruesome looking. And she just has a bit of a fit. And also, she hasn't done anything up to this stage, and that that actually instigates her actually doing something. What do you mean she hasn't done anything? We're only two minutes into the movie. No, but that will instigate him then going to a psychiatrist, which I imagine. So that's this the second suicide, which is only the second one we've seen. He tells later on he's done about fifteen of them. So that's the one that she said okay this has been going on you're going to a psychiatrist so i think that kind of is the straw that breaks the camel's back i think it's an excuse for her as well to say right you need to get out of here so i'm going to start looking for suitors for you later on and you know you you just need to grow up and get out and i think she's she's quite she's probably quite a selfish woman and just wants her space back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah to be fair though i mean going into a room and like constantly being not you know seeing your son i mean the first time he did this she probably did think it was a suicide and as well as that like there's an episode of uh, one foot in the grave years ago where uh victor Meldrew and his wife they hire this handyman and he keeps on faking accidents and at first they keep as a prank more so than not for attention just as a prank and there's one time where he collapses in the kitchen and I can't remember Mrs. Melger, whatever her first name is. She just ignores him and she's having a cup of tea. But she can you can see her the cogs in her head are turning that like, oh God, what actually if this is the boy who cried wolf? <laughs> what if he has had an accident? And then later on they find out like, why, why didn't you call? And she's like, I thought he was messing. So, you know, she probably is always at the back of her mind going because Harold does strike you as the type that, you know, he's a... A young man who's a bit troubled, he could be the type that would be prone to suicide. <laughs> Connor's nodding silently. <laughs> There's one just before we move on. Um, the first time I saw this film, I actually thought it was set in England for a while because Mrs. Chasen, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. Is it Chasen? Anyway, his mother, she has a very prominent English accent. The house is huge big you know what you would expect downton yeah state almost downton abbey style they have servants um, and he doesn't utter a word but he has a few whispers and stuff but you don't really hear him talk for a little bit so i thought it was set in england for a while well the actress who plays mrs chasen 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 is english but yeah i know what you mean there is a bit it's it's a it's an enormous property and you kind of think what what does his dad do what does she do where is all this money coming from but i think they have stables and all this kind of stuff but uh yeah it's very kind of old english country kind of house but it is actually set in san francisco it doesn't mind you and i actually i was i have been and i actually stayed in san francisco for a summer even the the scenery doesn't doesn't come across as very american but it's just to me there's a real there's an english feel to it I, that's just me personally maybe it's just the way that it was shot or maybe it's because you're in san francisco 30 years after this film was made and it's changed yeah maybe um okay anyway back to the beat by beat next day we follow harold to a, a clinical therapist they're wearing identical outfits did you notice that the psychiatrist and Harold, yeah. In every scene, they wear the same outfit down to their handkerchiefs and ties and everything and their socks. It's all identical. 
Yeah, that's kind of bizarre. The therapist asks Harold what he does for fun, and Harold tells him that he enjoys going to funerals. And we see Harold purchase a hearse, and he attends the burial of an apparent stranger. There is an old lady also attending, but she's standing back a little bit, and she sneezes loudly, attracting attention of all the people at the funeral. Mrs. Chasm uh, tells Harold at this stage it's time he grew up, and he, she sends him to his uncle Victor, who is in the army. Victor tries to entice Harold to enlist, and there's a kind of a weird scene where he, he's, he's missing his right arm, Victor, and he salutes by pulling a string, and his, the sleeve pops up. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's I, I really like that he pulls he pulls like a little cord on his sleeve. He's obviously had this thing woven into the fabric of his uh, of his uniform, so he can pull it and still salute. Yeah, it's quirky. This this film is kind of absurdist. It's even like obviously Harold is a peculiar character, but it's not a case that he's a peculiar character in this world where everyone else is normal. Everything is a little bit exaggerated. Like Victor, like he's not a real person like you know and the fact that he salutes with his sleeve the mother isn't exaggerated as well uh the, the fact that he wears the same outfit as his therapist the, the fact that the therapy room is really long there's this big long uh kind of white room behind them it's all a bit weird it's all very stylized but i think as throughout the whole film there is this kind of social commentary going on and these characters are more, more like caricatures of the time hmm. well they're still in the middle of the, this is 1971 so there was still the vietnam war was still and they mentioned the war so it was still in the middle of the vietnam war um anyway so harold stages another suicide this time in his swimming pool and his mother is dressed in a lovely esther williams hat and she ignores him she just swims by him his therapist asks him how many of these suicides he has performed he says he can't accurately say but estimates 15 but states that they're not for his mother's benefit, so to speak. Um, it's that point then that his mother decides it's time for him to marry. We see Harold then at a church at another funeral, and we see the same elderly lady from the last funeral. Uh, she's sitting at the back of the church. She hisses at Harold to get his attention and offers him some licorice. She asks Harold did he know the dead man. Harold says he didn't, and she admits that neither did she, but that she does know he was 80. And she then says that's a good age to die and announces that she will be 80 next week. She announces herself, or she introduces herself as Maud, and predicts that herself and Harold will be great friends. She then drives off in a blue car, uh, which turns out to be the priest's car. She stole the priest's car. We go home. Harold's mother is filling out a form for a matchmaking company for his new bride. And as she does this, he stages another suicide, this time with a gun. And I think the questions are hilarious. I think the mother is a very good comedy actress. Uh, she's essentially just answering these questions to her own. Those questions aren't about Harold, they're all about her. Well, she's totally controlling, uh, you know, she, everything. She's trying to control everything in Harold's life by setting up these dates, by sending him to his uncle. And this is another example of this. She just starts reading out these questions and telling Harold almost what what his answer is, because it's what she believes. The questions are very funny. I I really like Maud's introduction to it. She's she's this real childlike character. She offers them sweets, <laughs> and uh, and then she goes on this joyride in a priest's car. She obviously has no time for any of the airs and graces of being in a church or anything like that. She she's just there because this she's curious about death. She has this childlike curiosity about death, even though she's 
turning 80 herself next uh, next week. And it's the first instance where she says um, that it's a good age to die and she says that she's going to be turning 80 next week. So you, you start thinking, are there plans in in her mind being formed yes yeah, so i'm jumping ahead a little bit here but we obviously you know if you're if you're, <laughs> if you're listening to this you've seen the film or if you're if not you know there's going to be spoilers but maud dies at the end of the film um and when i watched this the second time around i couldn't believe that she said that she's turning 80 next week she doesn't even say next week she says like next saturday so that's like even less than a week so this whole film takes place in a really short amount of time and I, I thought it took place maybe over three or four months. And then watching it the second time round, I thought, oh, okay, okay, it's only a week. But actually, like an awful lot happens in that week. An awful lot happens. I suppose we'll get to that later. Yeah, it's a whole love story wrapped up into one week. It's, it's one busy week, though. It's There's a lot of other things happening in the background. Anyway, Maud and Harold meet at another funeral. Maud has a yellow umbrella, which stands out in a sea of black. She offers Harold a lift home, but in his car, so she's actually stolen his hearse. She drives like a maniac, but when he says that it's her, it's his hearse, she then says, oh, you can drop me home in it. He tells her maybe she shouldn't take other people's things, maybe she's upsetting people, but she claims that she's just a reminder that nothing lasts forever. She brings Harold into her home that appears to be a train cart and he leaves to go to her therapist, promises to return. So there's a really nice little bit where the priest comes up and starts asking her, Madam, are you the person who stole my car last week or yesterday? But uh, he also says, did you paint the smiles on the saints? I don't know if you copped that. I didn't hear what he said. I, I heard paint, but I didn't hear the smiles on the saints. He says, did you paint the saints? And she asks him, did you like it? But that refers to a deleted scene, actually, where uh, Maud was in a church and painted smiles on little the statues of saints' faces. Oh, that makes me love her even more. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. I have a theory that I'm going to say at the very end, right? It's a silly theory. It's not true. It's not plausible, but it's a fun theory. But uh, before I get to that... Um, how the hell is Maud stealing all these cars? Is she just really, really good at hot wiring? Granny Theft Auto. <laughs> but like, really, well, there's another scene later on where she just, yeah, she just gets on into the car like in a jiffy and then suddenly she's driving away. She's she's skilled. She's either really good at it or what happens in American movies where she, for some reason people just leave their keys on their dashboard or, you know, and the, the sun blocker. Everyone's just doing that and she's just getting the keys. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit of uh, suspension and disbelief. Um, I just thought it was funny. Um, okay, so the next scene is our first date with Candy. She is a political science and home economics student. Um, <sighs> Sorry. She's a political... Oh. S- uh, kind of just sneezed into his hands. It's all gross. <laughs> so the next scene is... Harold's first date with Candy. She is a political science and home economics student. She chats with Harold's mother while Harold uh, is outside with a white sheet over him and he seems to set himself on fire. Candy screams and runs away just as Harold enters the room. Um, Okay, this is another funny thing. He breaks the fourth wall here. He looks directly at the camera, looking really, really Adam's family. Yeah, strange for that time someone breaking the fourth wall, but it was was improv by him uh, at the time where he just gives this little smile to the camera, a little nod to say, 
do you like my evil plan? <laughs> it kind of it it works even though it shouldn't work because this is yeah I know I said it's absurdist earlier on, but it does work and I, I don't know why because it doesn't happen in the rest of the film at all and it's not the, it's not like the last scene of the film that might work then if it was the last scene but yeah. I think at this point you know uh, what type of character Harold is and you know what type of controlling weapon his mother is and you can totally see the audience sympathizing with Harold and saying that was a clever prank well done and getting the girl to to run off screaming. He's also very skilled at the uh, the switcheroo. I don't know how he did that because you see him outside with the white sheet on sitting down and pouring petrol on himself setting it on fire and then he just appears beside them i don't know how it works yeah there is a cut to candy and when it cuts back you can see that it's clearly not him anymore but it's the cut is like for a second so i mean yeah the same thing happens later on with the when he tries to when he attempts to chop off his hand or when he fakes that he chops off his hand there's a little switch and then suddenly it's the plastic hand you know but I, I think again I think it's a bit of suspension of disbelief also mother doesn't seem too bothered about that or she doesn't seem to she kind of seems to think oh that's weird like even though there's a fire in the <laughs> in the back garden it's odd I don't think she sees what's going on I think her back's to the window and she doesn't actually know what's going on. She, This girl runs off screaming and she just probably assumes, oh, he's done something. This again. Yeah. So the next day, Harold visits Maud and sees her being... This is a scene... I, I don't quite understand the logistics of this scene. He calls to her and she's not... It's not her trailer. It's another... It's like a warehouse. And a man answers. And then it turns out she's hiding behind this wall. And she's starkers. You then see them in her trailer and she reveals that she was being sketched. But where was that? I have no idea. I thought it was in her apartment, but maybe it wasn't. Paint me like one of your French girls, Jack. <laughs> I don't know. Did she did she say in a previous scene, I'll be here? I don't think so. No, I don't I don't think so. Maybe I missed maybe it was her trailer. It just seemed like a really big space. Like her trailer was always had this coziness to it. It was like like a narrow corridor like but anyway, she peeks out of them and um, she brings them to her cart and she she's very flirty here. She's terrible. She asks him twice, do you disapprove? And then he, he's thinking about it for a long while. I have a friend, one of, one of my friends is like that. If you ask him a question, he kind of stands there and you can really see the cogs turning in his head. And then Harold just says, no, I don't think that's, I don't disapprove. And she's all like, oh, thank you. But there's a real coyness to her. She's totally flirting with him there. You can kind of see for maybe the, maybe the first time that you cares about his his opinion you know she she wants him to not judge her i suppose or to accept her for doing these things or maybe she's trying to judge his character and maybe trying to find out if they're a good match but i thought it was quite a quite a quite a long pause there for harold like it was a really long pause and then he just goes no (laughs) i think he's probably thinking to himself well, he's obviously grown up in a certain environment, a very well-to-do uh, family, and these life drawings probably wouldn't fit in with his mother's set of morals anyway. So he's trying to see how he can reconcile the two, his love for Maud and her zest for life and his conservative upbringing. Yeah, yeah. I, I also think this might be... now. I'm not sure. I think Maud might be trying to see if she is still desirable in his eyes 
because you know she's quite i think this is the flirtiest she is it's certainly the first time we see her flirting with him and she's kind of cheeky and, and she peeks out and you can see her shoulder and and you know i wonder she's looking for any sign of repulsion or desire in his eyes is he slightly intrigued do you think she set it up so that she would find that he would find her in that i now i do <laughs> i yeah well she knew that he was coming so of course she did wow yeah i didn't think about that yeah she probably asked her man gawkus or whatever his name was around and said oh i just maybe you can try and do one of your paintings for me but knowing that harold was on his way mind you she doesn't strike me as manipulative does she i don't think that's manipulative is it no but she doesn't she strikes me as just the type she would just do something because she wants to do it i don't know you've Show me for one now. Leave us a comment. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, this 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 is a weird scene. So she he's in her apartment and she's kind of showing him her paintings. Some of the paintings are of her, even though I didn't recognize her in any of the paintings. And she seems to have these sensory pieces of art. So the the paintings are visual. That's straightforward enough. Then she has this kind of old factory machine that pumps smells. And then there's this wooden structure that is. Um, tactile and she asks Harold to like stroke it and caress it and then she goes off to make tea or something and when she's distracted he gets really carried away and like puts his head down and and moans <laughs> what did you what did you think that was about well yeah the whole scene is obviously about you know five senses and pleasures of the flesh and all that kind of stuff so the first thing being her being drawn so that's visual and then she says she got a bit bored of that, so she wanted to look at smells and scents and that. So she has this weird old factory machine where she puts a gas mask essentially up to Harold's face and says, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a bit dodgy when you say it like that. Yeah. So he says that he can smell freshly fallen snow. This is like a really cool machine. I really, I kind of want to want to try that. But yeah, I don't, I think he was just saying that to humor her. <laughs> but uh, well, maybe. But then I was thinking, well, maybe is he? He, he kind of looks like he's getting high as well. So I thought maybe, given the era, maybe it was kind of he was getting high or something, or it was like a fancy way of doing drugs. Then he, then she says, yeah. And then I got a bit bored of that, and I went on to the uh, tactile. So uh, she shows him this kind of wooden wooden sculpture thing, and he starts going down on it and giving it a lick out and moaning, or th- that's what it looks like anyway. Which I don't know. I don't really know why. Maybe he's like. After seeing her naked, he's a bit horny, and there's like a hole in this. Maybe we're, maybe we're totally reading this the wrong way, and we're disgusting. But uh, yeah, I don't know. She then says very nonchalantly, "It'll be all over after Saturday anyway." Now I can't remember the first time I saw that if I coughed. But having seen it, I actually wish that line wasn't in it because you coughed straight away, didn't you? What was going to happen? Well, it was the second reference she had made to the Saturday coming and, you know, her life ending or a life ending. Um, so, yeah, I, I caught that. But I don't know, I kind of having seen it, I saw it twice now. I've seen it when we watched the film originally and when you were rewatching it. And it's just so, it's such a throwaway comment. It would be very easily missed. Also, I think nonchalant is going to be the word of this podcast because we've said it twice. <laughs> Anyway, she says that nonchalantly, third time. 
And they go to a construction site uh, where they see some buildings being demolished and then they go to a greenhouse and she says this beautiful line. She says, I feel that much of the world's sorrow comes from people who are this. And she points to a daisy, yet allow themselves to be treated as that. And she gestures to a field of daisies, but then that cuts to a field of gravestones. What do you think that's about? Well, I again, I think this... So she's saying how diverse life is and she loves watching things grow and change and she asks harold what he would like to be if he if he could choose and he says or what flower would he like to be and he says he points to a daisy and he said and she asks him why the daisy and he says because it's like all the other daisies which kind of shows me that he has a lot of insecurities about himself and he would like not to be odd and you know maybe a little bit off kilter he would like to be like everybody else but just isn't and Maud says to him you know this daisy is totally different to all the other daisies some are big some are small some are fat some have petals some don't have petals and that there's lots and lots of visual variations in life and she says that the, that human sorrow comes from people trying to be like all the rest, trying to be like sheep, I suppose, um, or trying to fit in. And only true happiness can come from being your 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 true self. I'm sounding very like Oprah right now, or Doctor Phil or something. But I think it's yeah, I think it's a social commentary on conformity. I I love. I think this scene is beautiful. I love the whole way it's shot. I love that we. There's a lot of li- lots of quiet moments in this where we just see them just busying about. Uh, like there's the, the, the brashness of the construction site and then the stillness of the greenhouse and then the the panning uh, huge, like of thousands of daisies and then like thousands of graves. Um, new, you know, and it's a, military, um, it's a military graveyard as well. And, you know, in the midst of the Vietnam War, it's, it's, it's a very, very powerful scene. Anyway... They driving along and she pulls in very dangerously, parks her car uh, and sees this kind of sad looking tree growing on the pavement. Uh, She decides they need to transplant this tree to the forest. But Harold says that they will need tools to do this. As they inspect the tree, some police approach their badly parked car. The police don't realize Harold and Maud have it's their car and they kind of have a bit of banter with them. Um, and then Harold and Maud steal another car uh, very quickly again with her granny theft auto skills. Uh, that night, Harold asks Maud about an umbrella. They're in her in her trailer, and she has this umbrella that's kind of perched on kind of a mantelpiece. And uh, she then says it's a relic of her protesting days. She rejects the idea of patriotism, but she does say she misses the days of kings. She mentions a few memories of her time in Vienna as a girl and then she mentions Frederick a doctor from uh, from Vienna and she has this solemn look about her face do you want to talk about this now or will we will we wait what do you think yeah so I think in this scene uh we're finding out more about Maud's past she's uh, not not o- not overtly but you know she's telling us a bit about how she was uh, a hippie a rebel stood up against the man in her past life and we learned that there was this man frederick in her past so she's she's somebody with obviously a a great zest for life and clearly has a past and harold is not her first love and she's acknowledging that and she becomes quite somber uh, and nostalgic about that but i was thinking about this she says she was a hippie 
But this is 1971, so the, the time of the hippies was just upon us, really. And she was, the actress who was 75 playing this role, and Maud's meant to be 80, was born in 1896. So she would have been like 60 when she was a hippie. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, maybe she just is using the, I actually don't, I can't remember that line that she said she was a hippie, but maybe she's just using the terminology to describe, you know, what she was. But the idea of protesting against the man is, that is a very much a hippie idealism. And maybe that term hadn't been invented or hadn't been certainly used yet, but the same idea, the idealism was there. And that's what she's kind of referring to. Yeah, she is. I, 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 I like her. I like the way she explains it, saying that, you know, people have create people are the ones that create borders and rules and laws and, she says that people love a cage. People still love a cage. Okay, so Harold then asks her, um, are her revolting days behind her? She says no, but that her fights now are for the big issues still, but in smaller, more individual ways. She sits at a piano and instigates a sing-song, uh, but then dances, revealing she wasn't playing piano at all. And she sings that lovely Cat Stevens song. And I actually, I actually prepare her version. <laughs> That's a great scene. I love that. I love their little song. But no, she does play it, I think. She sits down and she plays it through. That's one of those pianos which will record what you've played and then will play it again. Oh, really? Oh, I thought it was just one of those like magic pianos. (laughs) Well, maybe that's right. Maybe she was having a bit of fun. You can totally see that was the type of thing that Maud would do. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was a piano that recorded what she was playing and then played it back. But maybe you're right. I don't know. I think there's a lot of things in this that are left up to your imagination anyway. Um, I, that's a lovely scene. She's adorable there. Harold reveals he doesn't play an instrument and she gives him a banjo. When practicing the next day, Mrs. Chazen shows him a new car that she's traded in for his hearse. That's an Aston Martin, is it? Um, they they say it's a Jaguar, but I thought it was an Aston Martin. It very, looked very very much like a, a DB5. Well, it was definitely a car. That's what I was by the extent I can tell you. Um, he immediately reaches for his blowtorch and we don't see what he does. The next day or later on, we see Harold and Maud speeding down a highway in a truck at the tree that we mentioned earlier that was tied to the back. They're waved down by a policeman on a motorbike. Maud reveals the truck isn't hers, nor is the tree, but drives off. They manage to escape him. They plant the tree in a forest, but on the way back, the same policeman intercepts them and pulls them over. Maud says she doesn't believe in driving licenses and he tells them to get out of the car, but they steal his bike and he actually fires at them, which is kind of dark because the whole scene is kind of funny and then he fires his gun. The whole the scene is hilarious. She, I love her. She's, she's, she pulls over and the, the, the policeman comes up to her and says, oh, hi, have we met before? And he, said, he kind of looks and goes, oh, for God's sake. And she goes, oh, it must have been your brother. And he gets him out of the car. He's he's actually quite a good actor now himself. Oh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He plays it really, really well. And he says, I've got you loads of charges, stealing cars and uh, stealing trees. Where's the tree? And he's like, oh, we, we put it in the forest. You put it in the forest. And then he says, is this shovel yours? He's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, theft of a shovel. Which is great. So he gets, I don't know why he gets into the car. He gets into the car and Maud said a fucking idiot it was so obvious what was going to happen and he like obviously left his keys in the motorbike 
And what, what? Why would he get into the car? There's no no reason why he would get into the car. I don't know. Maybe he was checking for drugs. Maybe. Uh, but anyway, he gets into the car. I love the little slap that she says to. She gives. Uh, she's quite physical. She's she gives him a few little slaps, not hard, but she kind of slaps his shoulder, kind of to communicate. Uh, she's a very good physical actress. She's yeah. Yeah, so she slaps him. She turns. She says to the police, "When's it going to take long?" And he tells her to buzz off, essentially. And she turns around and slaps Harold, like, "Come on!" And she says, "Get the shovel! Get the shovel!" <laughs> why? Why would they risk that to get the shovel? Like, they don't even. It's not even their shovel. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I don't even. I don't know. They don't use the shovel again. I don't know why. Yeah, she just. I th- she's like a kleptomaniac. Oh my god, Maud is a kleptomaniac it also makes me wonder how the hell did she get that train car that ain't legal oh yeah she lives in a train car yeah i don't know i think i think it just it's 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 just abandoned and she's just converted into her living space yeah how amazing would a hbo um mod the origin drama be or maybe not hbo maybe netflix drama of like mod the origins that would be amazing the marauder um but yeah but he uh, the police officer then uh, they drive off on the motorbike he takes out his gun and shoots at them but but the 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 gun doesn't fire it actually sounds like a fake gun which kind of makes me think did Maud switch the guns because it sounds like something she'd do but uh but really dangerous because you can see that there's a a bystander walking towards the police officer and this guy's trying to fire at them yeah yeah he he's a he's an idiot <laughs> that he is you said he was quite a handsome idiot he was yeah he was but yeah very san francisco with his mustache and his biker helmet very ymca that night they smoke from a shisha while Maud wears a fabulous kimono she looks good here and harold tells Maud about an incident as a, when he was a schoolboy where people thought he had died and um, he breaks down and he admits that he actually enjoyed being dead more than being alive Maud comforts him but she does correct him and says that he was never dead he was just backing away from life and she gives him a bit of a pep talk about grabbing life by the balls he tells her he likes her and she says the same and they dance the night away Date number two is Edith. That's the next day. Edith see, sees Harold's new car, but he has transformed it to a hearse. He pretends to chop his hand off during tea, and that scares her away. We mentioned that earlier on. I don't know how he does that. Because of these actions, uh, Mrs. Chesson is kind of at the end of her theater, and she tells him that he's going to enlist. And if he refuses, he'll go to jail. But Maud and him concoct a scheme, and I think this is probably my favorite little part of the film. So he meets with Victor, a uh, one-armed Victor, who gives him a tour. And Harold gets very into Victor's war stories, maybe a little bit too into them. He's asking questions about the violence, whether he can get hand-to-hand combat, whether he can strangle them with his fists, whether he can take souvenirs. And Victor starts to get a little bit scared. And then Maud appears. She's disguised as a protester. And Maud and Harold stage a fight where he... he whips out this okay this i don't quite understand you have to explain this to me he whips out what looks like a toupee after he mentions taking scalps and then he kind of pushes it into maud's face and she kind of goes oh it's stinking it's horrible and then she snaps it from his hand and she throws it in the sea and then he pretends he's so disgusted that he like tries to attack her and then she just disappears and we hear this splash what (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what happens to Maud. She just kind of is there and then is gone. And it seems like she's just... She must have jumped down into the sea or something. Or there was like a tube or something that she like jumped into and then swam away. The thing is, the only thing that they were pretending is that they were acting. But Maud really did fall down there. <laughs> and did Victor not try and find her <laughs> like yeah, and we heard the splash so unless she didn't go in the water but she threw something else in the water and what was the what was the wig meant to be what was the significance of that well the wig was just i think the wig was just he was talking about taking souvenir now this is a this, this is a great scene i love this scene it's because a brilliant scene because up till now harold has been a very demure not a lot of charisma not a lot of character and then in this scene, when they're talking about death and learning how to kill people, ironically, he comes alive and he's really physical, really enthusiastic, really into it and very funny and starts talking about, will the army teach me how to kill a person, shoot a person, cut a man's throat? And the uh, the uncle's like, yes, they will, son. Yes, they will. Oh, they'll teach you how to fire all types of weapons. And then he goes and slit people's throats. And they're like, well, I guess... Um, what's the wig? Well, the wig he talk he, he talks about taking souvenirs and like someone's scalp and he takes out this wig. And he's saying maybe I can get another one of these. So, in the scenario from Victor's point of view, that is an actual scalp <laughs> that Harold has extracted. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe he but maybe he thinks it's a wig and he's and Harold is just saying well maybe i'll be able to get a real one of these and again from victor's point of view this protesting lady dressed all in black very victorian falls down and does victor just kind of go <laughs> okay you won't you don't say anything if i don't you, you know i'll, I'll stick quite well maybe 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 there was a manhunt after she fell into the sea but she just <laughs> swims away and you know harold picks her up and then they skedaddle yeah, the, all three of them, because um, Victor as well, it, it's just a masterclass in in physical comedy. They're just all three of them are amazing, and there's a they're all shouting at the same time, all saying different things. All um, Harold is pretending to attack Maud, well, obviously not attacking Maud. Um, Victor is trying to stop it. It's, it's just brilliant. It's a brilliant scene. It's very funny. Anyway, he also calls her a commie bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we see a montage with hills and trees and screaming and somersaults and and Harold tells Maud that she's very beautiful and he then notices a tattoo on her arm and we find out that she is a victim of the Holocaust. Well, I presume that's what we're meant to hear. Is that what you got from it? Yeah. Yeah, it's very clearly a Holocaust tattoo, but it's it's so subtly done in the film. They don't linger on it whatsoever. It's half a second of a shot and it's just enough for you to to click uh okay she's she's been a prisoner in the uh in Nazi Germany it fills in a lot of blanks doesn't it it fills in the blanks about that little bit of solemn sadness um it it gives us this this impression that she survived and she had two choices she could linger and you know wallow in the horrific experience and and she probably lost 
everyone but certainly victor i imagine or frederick sorry <laughs> victor sorry sorry victor is the soldier she certainly lost frederick yet she decided to grab life she decided not to push it away to grab life do you think she was a jewish victim of the of the nazis or do you think she was one of the there wasn't very I, I don't believe there was a huge amount of protest against the nazis before they rose to power but i think there was some um and they were promptly put in concentration camps do you think that's why she was there oh it's a good question i don't know um i would have assumed she was jewish although she says her full name at the start of the movie the the surname anyway sounded french to me so i, I you might be onto something there i just assumed that she was jewish from a from a character point of view it's more satisfying from a story point of view if she became this vivacious character as a result of her past as opposed to that's just the way she was always well i definitely think it's as a result i mean i think there's two things going on i think she well she's she could be a bit tapped because of everything she saw during the second world war but her zest for life all this kind of anarchical stuff that she does is as a result of realizing that all rules and laws and borders are man-made they're they're only things that we've created and things that she can break if she wants to also she's decided to take her own life at the end of the week so she's like fuck it why not (laughs) yeah that's true as well Uh, mind you had she been arrested for stealing the car and uh, she was in jail she wouldn't be able to do that well i think she's thrown caution to the wind at this point (laughs) yeah i don't think she cares um anyway date three is with sunshine um sunshine is an actress um and she harold fakes another suicide and but this time she actually recognizes it's an act but thinks it's for her benefit because she is an actress and she kind of embraces it i thought this scene was long and i was so at this part of the film i was so in love with Maud and Harold and just loved watching them on screen and this up, up to this point all the other scenes without Maud had been kind of brief and I felt this went on forever what do you think about this I quite like this uh, the scene the actress that plays Sunshine uh, is a, an actress called Ellen Greer who's quite a well-respected actress in her own right she's been in lots of things a uh, lot of appearances in TV like Eeyore Castle and The Mentalist in recent times but I knew I knew her from somewhere and I couldn't put my finger on it. But then I realized that I knew her from Star Trek, The Next Generation. She was in an episode of that. Um, the scene does go on a bit. It drags on a bit. But I thought it was quite interesting that he, that Harold has found somebody who's a bit nuts like he is. And he fakes his own death. And she starts going on a bit. Because she's an actress, she talks about these scenes that she's done where she's had to act as if she was dying. He, he talks about... Uh, Harold kills himself in some traditional Japanese manner with it with a blade and then she totally overacts this death scene that she had to do which is it's pretty funny I thought I actually thought that it was going to uh, introduce an element of confusion into Harold because he's found somebody who is maybe a bit crackers like he is and isn't shying away or running away from this whole death seen these death scenes that he's created but that's not the case it just fizzles out and she leaves and that's about it well that's interesting because the mother is disgusted when she comes in yeah in a weird way she should maybe be happy that they've bonded (laughs) you've made me think now maybe this is maybe harold after the film ends 
maybe Harold will get in touch with Sunshine again and maybe acting will be a potential future for him. Maybe. Maybe that's like the point of this scene because I didn't really see the point of this scene. But now, but you just made me think of this now, just this on the second. Maybe this is giving us a little bit of a glimpse as to the post mod life that Harold might live. Maybe, but they don't really go back to that at the end of the film. I would kind of think that if if they were going to show that happening, that there would be something at the end of the film to show him going to an acting class or meeting up with Sunshine or something, which doesn't happen. I think Maud is just the one for him, essentially. It's his reason for living almost at this point, and nobody else will do. Yeah, no, you're probably right. It's just something to play with. So that night, Harold and Maud go to a fairground, and as she is playing, I don't know, she's playing something with some other people, she's wearing this weird red thing on her head. It's like a jumper, literally, just that she's taken off but hasn't pulled off her head. Did you notice that? Well, what point is this? They're at the fairground and they're on an amusement park and then he is making a coin for her at this kind of, um, you know those machines that you see at fairgrounds where you put in some money and it gives you a coin. And he just looks over at her. I don't know what she is. It looks like a kind of a blackjack table or something. It's not a blackjack table. But <laughs> it looked like when you saw Maud from straight on, it looked like she was wearing a red headscarf. But when you saw her from behind, you could see like a sleeve. <laughs> so it looked like she was wearing like a red top and she took it off, but just didn't pull it off her head. <laughs> okay, I didn't notice that. I just thought she was wearing some sort of woolly knitted granny top or something. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the fashion. We, we must talk about the fashion before we finish because there's some interesting clothes in this film. So he makes her a coin, and he gives it to her. And I think the co- either the coin says Harold loves Maud, or he, he just he just says it to her, uh, and then she says she loves him. But she throws the coin in a lake so that she'll always know where it is. And then we see some fireworks, and you know what fireworks means. We both kind of, when she threw the coin into the river, we both kind of went, what a bitch. But then after thinking about it and knowing of her demise, it's kind of like she can, in the spiritual world, come back to visit the coin because she knows where it is. Yeah, and she's so unsentimental. Um, She's got no use for physical things anymore, physical possessions. Exactly. The, The fact that he gave it to her is what makes her happy not the actual coin yeah then we see the next morning uh, a very satisfied looking harold is blowing bubbles you can see he's just shirt off under the sheets and across from him is a sleeping maud i think you do you see her shoulders as well oh she's definitely naked yeah um it's funny this film uh, or the the kind of the whole idea of this film of the the big age gap and we haven't really talked about that maybe at the, we'll talk more at the end either you can embrace it which is something I just I'm, I totally love Harold and Maude as a couple I think it's the sweetest I'm not disgusted by it in the slightest but there's other people so my mother when, when I told my mother we were doing this film for the podcast and she had never she's never seen Harold and Maude but she's heard of it and as soon as I kind of she she didn't recognize it totally, but I, when I kind of talked a bit about the premise, and she, she was like, oh, her face screwed up, and she went, oh, that's that weird film. And there's some people that just, this love story is too icky and isn't going to work for them, and I am not one of them. 
I love the word icky. <laughs> yeah, I'm not one of those people either. And I think if people gave the film a chance and watched the film, they wouldn't be that person either. I think I think as you watch the film, you grow to love these characters and you see that they have a love between them. And I think that would get rid of the ickiness. But when you hear it first, you might go, Ugh, because you would imagine yourself in that position. But if you watch the film, I think that ickiness dissipates. <laughs> Maybe. Do you think, I was going to say, would you have liked to have seen a love scene? Now, a Fifty Shades of Grey or a Samantha Jones love scene? No, obviously wouldn't have worked. Not even love. But I wouldn't have minded necessarily to see when they woke up the next morning that they were spooning or that maybe she was asleep on his chest or just they're literally on the other sides of the bed. And we don't see any kisses from them that aren't. We see a few kisses that finish as the camera goes onto them. They stop kissing. Does that make sense? And I would have liked just a little bit more, just... If what they give us is like a th- three and, you know, 50 Shades of Grey is like a 10, I would like to have seen like a five. You love your comparative numbers. You always do that. That's a three. That's a 10. This is what I want. But, <laughs> but um, well, sometimes after you've had the sex, you need your space to like sleep and stuff. So maybe they're on the other sides of the bed. But, you know, maybe he, maybe he did the whole... Ross's hug and roll thing because he needed his own space in the bed. I think it's fine. I think they both wake up. He's obviously awake before her. He's blow. He's from somewhere gotten bubbles to blow, and uh, <laughs> you know that Maud has like collections of bubbles and has yo-yos and has chalk everywhere. She does say she has a lot of. She's accumulated a lot of stuff. The director actually did want to film a sex scene with them, but uh, the produ- the production company Paramount wouldn't let them yeah well it's not even a love scene i would have just like and you know reality is no excuse for fiction in terms of what he, he want he might have wanted to roll her across or whatever it's just to see them the next morning you know with a little bit of intimacy just would have i thought been really nice touch yeah do you see them kiss at all during the film do they have a, a snog you see when later on uh when he removes the blindfold on her birthday he releases a kiss like the so that when when it cuts them they're kissing he just leaves her so they do kiss but we don't like i said we don't ever see them have a full kiss and i think that would have been nice we know that they have kissed we know that they are intimate so it just reeks of that they're too afraid to show it well the production company was too afraid to show it they didn't and that that is apparent that is apparent that it wasn't an artistic decision it was a decision based on fear and they're never good connor they're never good Anyway, so yes, they have made love. (laughs) Harold tells Mrs. Chazen that he is to wed and he shows her a photo of Maud and she just kind of (laughs) looks at him. That's the last time we see Mrs. Chazen. But we do see a series of shots from Harold's point of view of different men um, giving their uh, opinion on this new, uh, Harold's new conquest. We see Victor... We then see his therapist who talks about kind of the Oedipus complex, but kind of says it's a granny Oedipus complex as opposed to your typical one, which he's never come across. And then we see the priest in, I think, the most disturbing scene in the film where he very graphically describes why he's repulsed. He mentions Harold's firm body a little bit too much for my taste, though uh, that actor... That little bit of acting he did, he he was amazing. That was a good bit of acting. 
he that priest milked the shit out of that scene he was great and uh he talks about you can almost see him vomiting in his mouth when he talks about Maud's flabby buttocks and uh, her sagging breasts. He does mention Harold's tot body, which uh, he, do, he he kind of he kind of emphasizes that, and you kind of think to that, oh, you know what you want. But I thought it was interesting. You got you got kind of the again as this kind of social commentary, these kind of pillars of society this very successful army admiral or general or whatever he is um psychiatrist very well uh well respected profession and then obviously a priest the, the moral compass uh of of society i suppose and all their views are that this is this is wrong this is disgusting your mother would have fit in well the, the, <laughs> these people <laughs> That night we see Harold uh, throw Maud a birthday party, an atheist birthday party. He's decorated her home with sunflowers. He's prepared champagne, organic champagne. And he tells her he has another surprise for her after dinner. And I take it that's a proposal, right? Oh, definitely. I think he's he's made the decision to marry her and he's going to propose to her, yeah. Yeah. And then she says she couldn't imagine a lovelier farewell. She reveals as it's her 80th birthday. She took the tablets an hour ago and she'll be gone by midnight. There's a long pause and then Harold goes, What? Jesus, I think you broke our mic. <laughs> it was actually quite scary when he screams it out. I got a fright. Um, and you can really see that he's like crying and he's just seeing his world crumbling. I didn't appreciate that. I thought that was almost done for laughs. That what? We were yeah. I didn't. I didn't appreciate that scene. Oh no! I thought it was very good. I. Uh, I mean, what what would your response be to the person that you love just telling him that they've taken a load of pills and they'll be dead by midnight? This wonderful person that he's met that's given him a reason to live when all he can see is ways of killing himself, and he just has this. He has this look of absolute horror and terror and shock on his face when he when he shouts it out. I I thought it was very very well done. Yeah, I just I thought I thought the Watt was more of a kind of a like a comedic. We were expecting him to break down and cry, break down crying or something, and we we didn't see that. We then see them in an ambulance. He is very upset, and he says that he loves her, and she says that's amazing. Keep on loving, keep on loving. They go to a hospital, um, and as Cat Stevens plays, we see that she has died. He's heartbroken. He's driving in his hearse very fast through the country, driving faster, 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 until the hearse goes over the edge of a cliff and crashes. The camera pans up and we see Harold, who has miraculously exited the car, playing his mandolin or his banjo, and he walks away. And we hear Cat Stevens. Oh. Oh. Yeah, it's a very emotional ending to the to it. I kind of felt that the I I almost felt the ambulance scene and the hospital scene wasn't necessary. I absolutely agree. I would have preferred her to say that line to him to burst out crying, collapse on the floor, and then to her to bend down and just say that line. He says, "I love you," and then her to say that line that she says to him in the ambulance. Don't get don't get. He says something like, "Don't upset yourself," or "Don't get upset." Keep on loving, and I would have liked her to die in his arms in the home i really really wanted to cry and i cried a little bit the second time 
but the first time I just didn't think they squeezed that scene enough and I because I would have I was so in love with Harold and Maud as characters and I really believed their love story and I really believed that she you know this was the right thing for her so I just but I, I wanted to cry with him when she died and I didn't think the film I thought they could have gotten another that, that could have been extended another maybe two minutes just have a little bit of yeah I would have liked her to die in his arms yeah, I, I mean, I, I still think that the what was well-placed, but um, I know what you're saying. I think the the ending where she she does, there is a bit of a comic relief then when she is in the ambulance and she says, I don't know what all the fuss is about, but clearly she has to some degree saved Harold and saved his life, but he hasn't been able to save her. She's already made this decision that she's going to go at 80. And I don't know why 80. I don't know why she made that decision 80, but she said that that's a good good age to die she says 75 is too young and 85 is too old okay random i suppose physically she was still quite healthy she was quite fit um she wanted to maybe go on a high she was she wanted to go on a high but because she was that fit and healthy and had so much sense for life there was probably a lot more she could do perhaps but i think she, i think in her point of, from her point of view she had done everything and she just felt it was time to move on i want to run something by you is there an argument? Okay, so okay, so Harold is smitten by Maud. He is, and I do believe she loves him, but I don't think she's as smitten with him as he is. And how could she be? Because she is, you know, she's worldly wise, and he is young and naive. And obviously, your first love is is very intense. Is there an argument that she slightly led him on, and that she broke his heart? I think she definitely did. I think she definitely. Well, okay, not she. She did break his heart. That's a fact. Let him on. Then is there an argument that she, perhaps she shouldn't have let him on the way she did? Well, definitely. I think from the moment she met him, she liked him, and probably you know she's not. Yeah, I. It would be. I would think. I don't know now. This for a fact. I'm just going to throw this out there to the world and if we get comments if people are listening and they want to comment please feel free to do that and tell me i'm an arsehole but whatever it's probably difficult for somebody at her age to have sex and it was something that maybe she wanted to experience for the final time before she died and she she saw harold she she built up somewhat of a relationship with him but she knew she was going to die she, she knew she was going to end her life in a week or we'll say a week for argument's sake and she only told him few hours before she was going to die that she that you know and and he had built up this incredibly strong bond with her it was her the love of his life as he saw it is maybe his first love and as i said she she saved him to some degree because he was a depressed young person with no prospects in life he had left school he didn't necessarily have any job you know he had nothing and uh she was his salvation and then she but she but she knew that she was going to end all that and take that away from him so was she wrong to do that was she selfish she was definitely selfish i don't know if she, if it was i mean sometimes it's not wrong to be selfish but she um i think she could have been clearer about what was going on okay yeah she definitely danced around it it's funny i think mm, i think she to herself she let she when she said it'll be all over by saturday and she said that so quickly that maybe she said that because she didn't really want him to know because then she knew that maybe he would have backed off or he would have tried to stop her. But she, 
she wanted for her own she wanted to kind of lie to herself to say well i did tell him so i'm not leading him on do you think that's possible yeah i think that's what's going on because she does say it but she looks away and she looks out the window and she just says it very quickly no i think i think that's exactly what was going on and she says it a couple of times throughout the film she implies that something is going to happen on her 80th birthday but never just comes out and says look really like you having a good time let's have the sex but i'm gonna die on saturday because at, at the same time he probably would have tried to talk her out of it could have gone to the authorities or whatever and um prevented this from happening if if he had known what was going to happen yeah i think that's that's fair um okay i have another question then would harold and maude work if Harold was the 79-year-old and Maud was the 20-year-old. Ew, icky. It would. For me, now, uh, see, now I feel like a hypocrite because I feel like earlier on when I was saying it, I was like, I'm so liberal. I just think love is love and that Harold and Maud had a beautiful relationship and if you think it's disgusting, then, you know, you're wrong. But... If Harold was the 79 and Maud was, I think, 23. I think he's meant to be 23. I don't think it would have worked. I don't know why. But it would feel felt a bit more like the older man was taking advantage. It would have been a bit more, I don't know, a little like a dirty old man. And I don't know why. I know, I know what you mean. And funny enough, I think it would have been the other way around. You would have seen the younger girl possibly as this gold digger maybe i think uh because men are if he lived in it hang on (laughs) if the young girl had the upbringing that harold had and the man lived in a trailer yeah fair enough okay i'll give you that one all right but uh if she if she had had the, the 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 resources of harold then yeah clearly not but then you'd have to then you'd have to say, yeah, well, maybe maybe she just is very much in love with them and 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 accept that. I don't know. I mean, people would judge, obviously, but whether that's right or wrong, well, no, it's not right. It's it's totally wrong. No, I think that's probably says more about us <clears throat> as a society than it says. Uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, I think this is a very positive film, but you know, we do have this thing where um, if a you know if a teenage boy gets with his teacher you know if a 16 year old boy gets with his teacher our society will go like well hey you know that's amazing if a teenage girl gets with his teacher we think this is sick and wrong and really we should both of them are wrong on the point of view of the teacher so you know this is i'm not uh, how the mod is you know is, is they're both consenting adults so i'm not saying it's wrong but if how the mod is correct then if we reverse the genders it has to be correct i don't think i don't okay i don't think if uh He's, you heard a story about a 16-year-old boy and the teacher that all of society would be going, Way, go on, my son. Maybe his friends would, but not generally in society. No, okay, fair enough. But the teenage boy, if he said, if he claimed he was raped, I would think society as a general would, wouldn't see him as a victim the same way they would see a 16-year-old girl as a victim. So I, we do, basically, to summarize, uh, yeah, uh, they should be treated equally, but they're not. <laughs> That's my thesis statement. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it does come down to sexuality, and um, basically, men 
remain can remain sexually active and maybe women don't necessarily have that past a certain age um so maybe that's why society feel that the older man is a dirty old man whereas in this case the older lady is looking for companionship and you know love yeah yeah it's um yeah i love mod <laughs> i have a little theory it's a silly theory but i'm gonna throw it by you okay run run your silly theory past me Okay, so Maud does a couple of things that we can't quite explain. So she falls down the hole and just emerges later on that afternoon, you know, perfectly healthy and not a bone broken. She is able to hijack cars in split seconds. Okay, she is able to somehow own this train. (laughs) And Harold also is able to do things that we can't quite explain. When he fakes his drowning suicide, his head is underwater for an awful long time. When he shoots himself in the scene with his mother, by the way, the mother's hat in that scene is amazing. Did you notice? No, I didn't. (laughs) The mother knew how to dress. Anyway, when he shoots himself, we see the gun explode. We see even some red on his forehead and the force of something pushes him back. Now, there could be some illusion going on, but it's an elaborate illusion. We see himself douse himself with petrol and then seconds later, he's in a a room, (laughs) not doused with petrol and not on fire. We see him drive off a cliff. We hear the engine running in the car when it's falling down, but seconds later, he's outside. Are Harold and Maud witches? No. (laughs) No, let's put that uh, theory to rest. What do you mean, are they witches? They're not witches. Maybe this is a world where witchcraft exists or something, because there's so many unexplained things in this film that are just brushed over and we can't explain them can you explain them any other film you just said that was bad direction (laughs) well the thing is this film isn't badly directed so i trust the director that these things were done on purpose i guess there's a suspension of disbelief but yeah it's a fun little theory i i i choose to think that it's a unlikely but possible scenario Oh, do you? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think I think Harold is has uh, mastered tr- trickery, and um, the car thing wouldn't be that difficult. You just have to jump out at the right time as the car is driving. <laughs> just saying, just saying. The I do think though that the the hanging scene that's quite real. I think I think that looks real. But he does move his head up, which sort of shows that well, he's not hanging there by his neck. He's hanging there by something. He's being suspended somehow. Yeah, I mean, the, the the hand thing is easy enough. I mean, that's just a fake hand. Yeah, but he gets like, how, how does he get his actual hand that he 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 sprays something in his that uh, he like has a air sprayer that he puts in his mouth and he puts that down and like two seconds later he has removed his hand from his sleeve, put a fake hand without anyone noticing. Mm-hmm. And the scene where he's hanging, the only way to do that properly would be well, no, I'm sure there is other ways, but how I would imagine is that the harness would fit to your hip. But we see him light candles. There's nothing attached to him. And we just see him. So he does that very quickly. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We talk about performances. The only really performances really that this film, that matters in this film, are Ruth Gordon, uh, who's Maud. Um, she, her, she's most famous for, um, oh, Rosemary's Baby. She won an Oscar for supporting actress in that. And then Bert, who I don't think, Bert, Bud, Bud sorry. <laughs> Bud Court, who played Harold. I, I don't I don't think he did anything particular particularly significant after this but um how do you think they work i think they worked really well together there was a great chemistry between them um i think 
both quite challenging performances, I would think, for the two people. I know Bud Bud Court actually um, was injured in a car accident in 1979, about eight years after this was made, which is ironic since he's driving around like a maniac in this film for most of it, which kind of saw the demise of his career, and then he didn't really get a lot of roles after that. But he he did. I think he did uh, stand up comedy actually, a, a good bit. All right, I I have a bit of I find. Uh, media with older characters really interesting i just find older people more mature people are more interesting they've lived longer lives they've got more stories they have a better perspective on the world so anytime i see a film with an older cast i always i'm a bit more drawn to it and normally older actors and older characters are are given supporting roles but um whenever one has a main role i always think it's an interesting story like i quite liked harry brown i quite liked quartet even though it was silly i still enjoyed all the acting um and and then generally old actors know their craft so you're going to get a hell of a performance so and even bud court is brilliant and they have fantastic chemistry but this is Ruth Gordon's film. She is so charismatic on screen. I could just watch her. She is fantastic. Yeah, she's really, really good. And she had a long period of time. She had about 20 years where she didn't do any film work. So she really wanted to break back into film work in the 60s. And I think she had a, a couple of failures before she had Rosemary's Baby. I think it was 1968 or something. Uh, and she won the Oscar for that, or 1965 maybe and then she went from strength to strength and went and uh was in harold and Maud. i think she died not too long maybe a decade after harold and Maud. um in around 88 i think she was but yeah she she was fantastic in the role yeah she was wonderful so connor this is something i thought would be easy for the first few weeks placing it on our list and of course the only thing on our list at the moment is donnie darko which is at number one a very strong number one, though, I think. Um, and one that I think will fight for its position. So, we are comparing this. So far, this is going to be... It's just Donnie Darko and Harold and Maud on direction, script, performances, uh, music and soundtrack, and cinematography. And then general enjoyment. So, what's your thoughts? I think you're going to have to list those out again, because I've forgotten all of them, except... Uh, well, let's think... The, um, Okay, so let's think the direction of Howl and Maud. I think it's solid. Some lovely scenes. I compared to Danny Darko, and obviously we can't compare everything, every film, every every time. I think the direction on Danny Darko was probably a bit stronger. Yeah, I think the, there was some really nice direction, really nice scenes in Harold and Maud, particularly the uh, the Daisy Fields into the cemetery and that massive zoom out um, from Harold and Maud. Really nice stuff, but. In general, nothing I would imagine spectacular. Nothing, nothing too noteworthy. But um, so I think I would give direction to Donnie Darko. Yeah, I would agree. There's some quirky things as well with the psychiatrist's office and the the scene where the three men and um, Harold's life are kind of directing to the camera. But no, I think Donnie definitely. Okay, so that's okay. One point for Donnie. Uh, music. Oh. I love the music for both of these films. I think Donnie though, because it's more varied. This I I love the the Cat Cat Stevens did the soundtrack. Actually, that they, they wanted Elton John, but he turned it down. But I actually think Cat Stevens it's very it's very fitting, and I love the the the, the song we were singing earlier on. But I think Donnie Darko, Mad World, Notorious, uh, the NXX NXS song, and then there's that brilliant just kind of kind of scary soundtrack that kind of goes through all the scenes with with um, Frank. 
So soundtrack for me goes to Donny. Yeah, there's a few songs in um, Harlem Mod which I actually recognize. There was one song from that that used to be at the end of Extras, um, Ricky Gervais show oh, yeah. Extras. Some really really good stuff. The theme song to Harlem Mod, I love it. Uh, it's and, a re- and they play that song <laughs> like eight times. Well, they bought the rights there. So fuck it, we're going to use this shit. I think it was written especially for the film. Oh right, okay. Well then, they were definitely going to use it. <laughs> they actually paid. They actually commissioned it. <laughs> So, but I do think, I do think the, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm torn. I, I mean, we're looking at these all, so you don't have to pick one for everyone. Okay, so that's the soundtrack. Performances, some lovely supporting performances in Danny Darko. But the lead, which is just really Jake, he cannot hold a candle even to um, Bud. Was it Bud? Bud Court? It's a funny name that it's hard to say, Bud Court. So, but and then when you when you factor in Ruth Gordon, nah. So performances, Harold and Maude without a doubt. Yeah, Bud Court's name is actually Walter Cox, and originally just saying that was that's a stage name. Anyway, he, I would say yes, Harold and Maude definitely. The the charisma, the characters are well defined. They're more interesting characters in general. I would think I do. There's some really really nice supporting. Um, actors and characters in uh donnie darko like we covered last week the mom is brilliant but even the supporting actors uh in in harold and maude are fantastic the general or general victor the uncle victor is great the psychiatrist is great the priest is creepy and amazing and the mother is great as well so yeah performance is going to harold and maude okay the so we that's the, uh, we've, it's the script we've kind of covered the script there as well and also just on the performances really natural performances from from Ruth Gordon as Maud she's she's so natural particularly when she's speaking to the police officer she says don't be officious being officious that's the sign of a government job or something I just think the way she acts that she, she looks so natural yeah yeah she makes it look so easy and that is not an easy performance as well what a what a what a role for an older actress what a gift that was um okay um script then uh both scripts good both good lines the story is probably both good lines yeah, both have good like dialogue i mean the story is so much simpler in 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 how to mod compared to the story in donny but i think the the kind of the, the there's a i almost think the heart of, a, of the script of how to mod is better so i'm gonna go for how to mod for script i think it's very difficult to to compare chalk and cheese i know yeah okay so the script i find I, okay now i got a tone of clockwork orange off harold and Maud. um is that kind of quirky absurdness that you were talking about earlier on well, the 70s as well so um but the i suppose just looking from the script point of view the dialogue um yeah it's a much simpler story it's 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 much it's a much more straightforward story donnie darko obviously has a lot of intricacies confusing its audience but i think generally the dialogue between the characters is more interesting in harold and maude particularly when maude's on screen so yeah i would agree maude and harold and maude you also have to take into account that we spoke about donnie darko for 50 minutes and we've been talking about this for an hour and a half <laughs> so we have, there's obviously we've obviously found more juice in the story that's the unedited version we'll put up maybe when we're famous and yeah well, maybe not um, and then general enjoyment and I think this is probably the most important one and if I was if you were to say to me Paul we've only got two DVDs we've got Harold and Maude and Donnie Darko 
I'm going to want to watch Harold and Maude. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I think Harold and Maude as well. Uh, the only th- I think we've agreed everything is on Harold and Maude. Um, the only thing I was a bit on the fence was the uh, the soundtrack. You said Darny Darko. I don't know. That's a that's a fifty fifty split for me. So I think overall, yeah, I think we're going for Harold and Maude. Very good. And we both. So you hadn't seen this film before. You enjoyed it, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was great. I thought uh, it was really, really good. It was really entertaining, and uh, it's, you know, what I really like about this this genre hopping podcast is well, firstly, seeing movies that I haven't seen before and finding little diamonds, but also seeing actors which I would have seen in various things, but them much, being much older, seeing them as much younger actors much earlier in their career. So people like Ellen Greer, who plays Sunshine. I, I think I'm really going to enjoy that part of watching these films. And your one uh, who was in Sabrina in Danny Darko, you were excited when you saw her again. <laughs> yeah, but I already knew her because I had watched it, yeah. Um, great, so... Donnie Darko, you only held your one number. I, I thought Donnie was going to keep that for a, a good few weeks, but no, Harold and Maude has gone in there and is number one. Sorry, Jake, I still love you. Yeah, no, it's still a good film, it's still a good film. So, that's the second film in our cult classic month. It's now time to pick the third film. So, Connor, what is your film and why did you pick it, please? I'm going to stick with Flatliners and the reason I picked it was because I picked it last week and it's easy. <laughs> okay, so you're going for a 90s film. I thought you'd picked it actually. Uh, you'd switched it. I'm going to pick... I was going to pick... I was going to pick Showgirls because we'd mentioned it a few times and said we had gone to do it. But <laughs> then I was like, oh, then we have to watch Showgirls. And Showgirls is so long. I mean, if it was 90 minutes, then I would absolutely, because I think that would be a really fun podcast just to kind of bitch about it. And I'd, I would love to give Harold and Maude another few weeks at number one, and I would be fairly comfortable that Showgirls wasn't going to shake it. But I just couldn't be bothered. So I decided to pick another film that I'm pretty sure Connor hasn't seen, and I'm going back very far. I'm going to pick a film called Freaks, which is from the 1930s. Let me just... Holy moly it's from 1932 and i saw this a few years ago and it is it's a it is a cool classic yeah it's it's it actually used real people that were in um freak shows of of the time and i kind of think uh it was it's become a cool classic the original version which was 90 minutes was banned and has been lost to time that person doesn't exist anymore so the only version we have now is the the release version which is about an hour long um, and I just think it'd be really funny, fun to compare a film that's that far back, 1932. So that's my Todd Browning's Freaks is my is my submission for next week. Oh God! <laughs> Come on, Flatliners! You failed me last week. Okay, so we got to flip a coin, all right? And we, okay, so well, we have to pick one first. Well, I picked heads last week. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the choice. Do you want to change or are you heads or tails? <laughs> I'm overcomplicating <laughs> complicating this. Okay, I'm going to go for tails. Okay, that makes you heads. Okay, I'm going to go for heads. Okay. Sorry, that was very high-pitched. Yes, okay, so we're watching Flatliners. And did you know that only this morning on Facebook I saw there is a trailer for the remake? So it's kind of apt that we do the old one. Oh, I'm kind of disappointed about that. Well, we don't. We're going to do the old one. Ellen... 
Paige is in it, I think. I, I don't actually know. I didn't do any research. I just saw it on my Facebook feed and I recognized her face. So there you go. Whenever you, anyone says Ellen Page, I always think of Elaine Page. And I'm like, why is she in a movie? Okay, yeah, no, Ellen Page. Okay, well, thanks very much for listening, guys. I think we're going to leave it there. Like, share, comment, and all that kind of buzz. Um, if you're still listening now, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe people are listening to this to put them to sleep at night in their beds. Who yeah. knows? But uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Take care. Because there's a million things to be, you know that they're right, they're right, they're right.